a wonderful spokesman and someone who tells us that we need to be a risk taker for God. Lars Dunberg. And Lars, we promised you a half hour, so you have permission to go till 20 till 10. You are a wonderful man. (laughs) Did Fred say I turned 100? No. Uh, He was going to turn 100, that's what it was. Good morning, it's good to be here. Um, I've known of this church. I've been actually here for some weeknight meeting, and it's good to be back here again. Um... Nothing is more basic for us than to have life. That's why we are here today. That's why we sit here. We can talk about strategies and diaries and everything else. But if we don't have life, it doesn't matter. There's a scripture that says, From him and through him and to him are all things. Find in Romans, the last verse. Do you live your life for him today? Is every decision you make every day focused on fulfilling that is in him, through him, and for him? It was a time when we didn't live this Christian life. Paul says to the Ephesians, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live and you followed the ways of this world. And then what happened? You went from death to life. From darkness to light. What did we hear right in the beginning? I have come that you will have life. And life abundantly or to the fullest. But these words were written, John said, that you may have life in his son. The early church had life. They understood that. They were so full of the message of Jesus wherever they went. In Antioch where they were first called Christians... That was kind of a nasty word for for them. But it told the world that they were like Jesus. They served him with dedication. You know, when uh, they were out there speaking about Jesus and were thrown into jail, they were then released. And what did the angel say to them? He said, go stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. Life. Again, go back. Don't go in hiding that we would have told them to do. Go out and stand there again. Be beaten up again. They served him with enthusiasm. They served him with joy. You know, the book of Acts is a book full of joy. They were bubbling over with the fact that they had met Jesus Christ. Are you doing that today? I was sitting with a group of persecuted people in the state of Orissa in India. And they said, will you come and visit our refugee camp because we want to show you how you worship when you've lost everything. You see, they said, Lars, before we sought the blessings of God, now we are looking for the God of blessings. Ah, they served with faith. We need faith again that when we proclaim Jesus to a friend it actually works when we pray for someone God actually answers prayer we pray like he's 10,000 light years away sometimes if you wouldest you mightest and all that nonsense instead of saying God just step in here we need you he's promised to do that 
I was in a big church in Oklahoma City last Sunday, and a woman came up to me and she said, Oh, it's so wonderful to hear that God works in other countries. I said, I beg your pardon? Doesn't he work here as well? Well, she said, why doesn't he show up in our church? And I said, are you expecting him to? Are you inspecting God to step up? Faith. They served him with courage. You know, when Paul and Barnabas had been around at the time, they said, let's go back to the villages and see what had happened there. Did God do something where we preached? I'm going to show you a picture of one of my unsung heroes. He's a man that I first met in 1974 in Kathmandu, Nepal. There were 300 believers in all of Nepal in 1974. Today, 2011, there are about 1.2 million. And this man is one of the instruments that God used. I said, how did you do it? Well, he said, we walked where there were no roads. We put scripture portions on our heads, and we waded through water up like this, through rivers, and we came to a village, and we sang songs, very similar to the songs we sang today. And people gathered, we preached the gospel, we gave them tracts, then they started to beat us up, and we ran away. And we went to the next village, we did the same thing for three months. And when we finished that, we turned around. Just like Paul and Barnabas. Let's go and visit the places where we went. And in every place they found a small church. Kept doing that over and over again. Result, 1.2 million believers. They served with prayer. What do we do when we have a problem? We call a committee meeting. They call it a prayer meeting. And saw God step in in that way. They served with unity. You know, nowhere in the New Testament do you hear a name of a church. Except the church in Colossae or the church in Philadelphia or whatever. Because they were one. Although they didn't meet in one building like here. They were in many homes. But they were one. When Jesus turns up, we become one. He's not very fond of just the Baptists or the Charismatics or the community churches. He loves them all. He wants them to, to be in unity. That's hard for us. Uh, we, d- we run a training program for pastors who have no training. And they come from every possible situation. I'm going to show you a slide here of a group up in the Himalayas. It's cold up there in the winter, as you can see. And when these guys come together, we have 75 in a class. They come from like 40 different denominational backgrounds. And they come in the first time and said, mm, do I dare to sit next to you? It might be catching. But after months of studying together, they pray together, they work together, they decide not to, to be nasty to each other, but see how they can work together. In this area, last two years ago, there was a big landslide. A lot of people lost their lives. A lot of people were wounded. What did those students do? They went together and formed a blood bank. So Anglican blood and Pentecostal blood and Baptist blood could be mixed to help these people. Well, it was symbolic, but it was also a help. God stepped in. When Jesus turns up, there is unity. We have to look for life in Him. 
to be able to show forth signs of life. You know, I go to many, many churches, almost every Sunday somewhere, and I find that a lot of people, they're just looking for the pastor to meet their needs. It's like they stay in the eternal babyhood of the believer. You know, they have to, to, to be burped and get fed and change their diapers and everything. They never grow. We want to see God's churches grow so people can go out and minister. But growth is not necessarily numbers. Your cemeteries grow. They're not full of life. They're full of death. Life is when you're so full of Jesus Christ that you share what you have with other people. I was sitting with a group of, of uh, my graduates in Kolkata one day. And one of them said, I am so angry. I said, why are you angry? I just graduated a year ago and I only have a little of 100 converts in my church. Whew. I would hoist a flag for any church in this country that have 100 converts in a year. Another man, and we're going to see a picture of this guy. He was a Hindu four years ago. Came to know Christ. And when we came to our training program, we said, how did you get there? He said, I ran 50 miles. Whew, how could you do that? Well, he said, it's not difficult. I'm pastoring five churches now. Remember, Hindu, four years ago. Five churches now. One is 30 miles away, and the next one is 30 miles away from that. And the next one is 30 miles from that. The next one is 50 miles from that. I ran. I have service on Monday night, and then I run. And I have service on Tuesday night, and then I run. I've served, etc., etc. Beaten up on the way. There's no roads, as you can see. You just run over rocks and mountain things. Dedication. And what a dieting program for our pastors in this country. <laughs> I have come, Jesus said, that you may have doctrines and doctrines abundantly. No, he didn't say that. He said, come, you have life. Yes, you have to have doctrines. But I meet so many people who have so many doctrines and no life. Life is what matters. We have life in Him so we can serve Him, so we can spread the gospel, so we can share it wherever we go. Today, we need to have people who have zeal. Yes, for the people locally. Thank you for sharing Young Life. I love that. And old Rydberg there is a good friend of mine. But you also have to go out outside your world. If you work locally, you also have a vision globally and God can do something. Why should we share that life? Because God's Son is worthy. Third John 7 said, It was for the sake of the name that they went out. We need to go out because of His name to spread the gospel. And I want to tell you, God is at work around the world. This picture that you see right here is from five hours drive into nothingness in the most populated state in India called Uttar Pradesh, sign of Idaho, with two-thirds of the population of the United States in it. And the northern part of it is nothing but Muslims. And we started a project there five years ago. They had no school, no hospital, nothing. And uh, after five years, we now have a school. We teach in English. And suddenly when we started to teach in English, we had Muslim families standing in line, signing up. Here's a Muslim grandfather signing up his grandson to go to a Christian school. And last Christmas, 
we put on a Christmas pageant in our little church, packed with Muslim parents being in church for the first time, hearing the gospel presented through the mouths of their own children. Can't be better than that, can it? That is what God is doing around the world today. I want you to come with me to Ukraine. Ukraine is a place where there are a lot of people having difficulties. And we run summer camps for kids there. And kids come together in big numbers and just, we, we do a Bible camp for them. And they get Bibles. See the picture here coming up? I hope there it is. That's just from two weeks ago, three weeks ago. But last year I was there. And uh, there had been a mistake. So an orphanage had sent upper teenagers. We usually just minister to kids up to 14. But there were these 17, 18-year-old guys. They said, we are not here to listen to any of this Jesus gunk. We are here to worship Satan. And that's what we're going to do. And so they didn't come to anything. They were hiding away. They were smoking pot. They are doing everything. But we tried, just as you say, show love to them, even if they don't want to, to come to Christ. But somehow... The power of the Word of God touched their lives. And at the final meeting like that, when we actually do a live crucifixion scene, well, we don't crucify them, but one of our staff members, you know, go on the cross, so to speak. These guys were coming first to the cross to kneel and ask for forgiveness and transformation. God is at work. People are being changed because others go and share the gospel with them. I want to tell you a story of what happens when you have a heart for people. What is this? What is this? I don't hear you. Five dollars? It's actually life. This is life. Up in Nepal and northern India... About 10,000 people die every winter. It never hits CNN, never hits Fox, doesn't even hit Glenn Beck. No one knows that these people die. But we do. And we try to find help for them to save their lives. Because you can't hear the gospel if you're dead. And so we, go, we send teams of people like this church from Dillon go with us up there. And we give everyone a woolen blanket that saves their lives. Costs five bucks. I want you to look at that picture for a minute. That's a young mother. She's 27. She's holding a baby in her arms. Her two small, other small ones are sitting at her feet. They have just got blankets as well. She has her blanket around her. I cannot think of a better way to spend 15 bucks on my mission's money. Because if you look behind her, that is her home. That's where she lives with her three kids. Her husband has gone away. It's 28 degrees when that picture was taken. And what do you think it's inside her house? The same. Her little kids only had underwear on. This is a way to show the life of Christ. When we go with the teams to these villages, people say, Why are you here? Because we love you. Why do you love us? Because someone loved us first. And then we share the gospel. In many of these villages where they have never seen a Westerner before, little home groups are now starting. You see, 
The book of Acts wasn't 2,000 years ago. The book of Acts happens today when we are full of life and we start to go to people in the world and share that life. And a, a miracle happens and people come to Christ and they find Him. That is what it's all about. And that's when God steps in and does a miracle. Why do, we, why do we need to do that? Because the harvest is now. Jesus said, look around you. The harvest is not four months from now. It's now. Now is the time. Because the nations deserve him. Why should we hear the gospel 150 times when some have never heard the gospel at all? We need to go and share it with other people. <coughs> Jesus said that the gospel would be preached to all nations. He commissioned us. Not just in Matthew. In Matthew. He commissioned us in every one of the four Gospels and in the book of Acts. Go, he said. Go, go, go. What does that mean? Well, in Greek and in Aramaic and in Swedish, it means the same thing. Go. You know, it's one step ahead of the other. Jesus said, sit and I'm going to bless you. No, he didn't. He said, go and I'm going to be with you. I can tell you how to get into every country in the world. can't tell you how to get out, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> if you go, he says, I will be with you. Can you think of a better partner? I will be with you. We need to go and see what he wants to do. Time is brief. We only have today. We need to go. I grew up in awe of people who had gone before. I studied books about, you know, Moody and Sankey and William Carey. And then in my life I met people who had a, a, <coughs> a really direction in, in life. They became part of forming my life. Billy Graham, you know, Bill Bright. People like Louis Palau, John Stott, that just went to glory a few weeks ago. They were the people that created destiny. Who is creating destiny for you today? What do you say? Wow, God is at work in the world. I want to go and be part of that and see what God is doing. When will the church look out of that, that we need to go and make disciples? See a very interesting picture here. I was speaking to a group of, of pastors who were being trained by us in Delhi. And uh, on row seven, these two guys in these turbans and beards were sitting. Uh, well, they are Sikhs, or Sikhs as we call them, but the Indians call them Sikhs. Uh, they're usually working for the secret police. They are fierce looking guys. I'm always scared of the Sikhs. And so I went to my coordinator and said, what is the secret police doing in our meeting? And he just laughed and said, <coughs> go and talk to them. Well, the guy to one of my sides there, they happen to be brothers, by the way, said to me, one day, I was living in my house. We had 35 people in our house, big house. We hated each other. We threw slippers at each other and we threw furniture at each other. Sometimes we took our ceremonial knives out of our boots and we tried to kill each other. We hated each other. There was a knock on the door. There was a young lady. And she introduced me 
to Jesus Christ. And my life was changed. And so, I introduced Jesus to the 35 people in my household. And finally, we lived in peace. But we realized the gospel is not for holding on to, it's for sharing. So we went out to all our neighborhoods, keeping our turbans and beards, and shared the gospel, and invited them to have church in our house. (coughs) In the last two years, we have visited 20,000 homes. And now I have a church of 350 people in my house, and my brother here has a church of over 300 in his house. And then it dawned on us we weren't qualified to be pastors. <laughs> so we came to Global Actions, Global Module Studies, and became studying. And it was when we came here, we found out that the young lady who knocked on my door had gone through the same program. And when they came to the evangelism class, they told her to find someone as different from her as she could imagine. And then he smiled, and these guys never smile. She smiled, he smiled, and he said, she found me. I was speaking at that graduation a couple of months later. Today, these two brothers have started eight churches. They are influencing over thousand Sikhs who have come to Jesus Christ. You see, a disciple is someone that gives birth to other disciples, and that's how it happens. So don't be a Christian pew potato. Jesus didn't tell us to sit, he told us to go. The major hindrances to evangelism today is not money or buildings or anything like that. It is the heart of us. The heart of the problem is the human heart. In missions, we have to understand that our life has to be shared with others. You say, what can I do? I can't do anything. Hey, I live up in Dillon here. It's snow in the winter and it's horrible. I I can't do anything. Yes, you can. First of all, the easiest, next Sunday, invite a friend to church. It's a 50% chance they say yes. And if you say, I'm going to pick you up in my car and I'm going to take you for lunch afterwards, it goes up to 80%. You know, we could double the size of this congregation next Sunday. It's not more complex than that. Or you can pray that God will answer your prayers. You might have someone in your family that don't know the Lord. Don't give up. might be a situation that is so hopeless that you say, God cannot do anything about this. Try me. He can. And he will. If you trust him. So go out there with really feeling of it. Or you might find someone that is sick on your street. Go and share a meal. Food opens so many doors for, for Jesus Christ. You can't believe it. Use your financial resources for your kingdom. Lars, didn't you see the stock report this last week? Don't you know what's going on? Yes. And I have put all my trust in the stock market for the future. No, my trust is put in Jesus for the future. It says, he will supply all my need from the riches in glory. I got an email from a man last week. I'd send out emails asking for resources. God uses people. 
And so he sent this email to me and he said, I have lost money for three years in a row due to the severe recession. And especially in the commercial real estate market, the partnership has decreased the distribution by 90%. So at that point I said, oh, he's just telling me a no in a nice way. Then he says, so we continue to trust God and give our money away. Anyway, by selling retirement assets and borrowing on our bank line of credit to give. Painful, but it honors God. Whew. Share your story about Jesus with someone. Don't make it complex. Remember Paul in front of Agrippa? He said, this is what I was. This is what I was, am now. And this is how I got there. Not more complex. This is who I was. In destitute, in darkness and sin. Even if I was a nice guy. And Christ changed me. And now I'm this. And I live a life to the fullest. Go on a mission trip. It'll change your life. We have lots of them. If you don't have one from the church. It will totally transform you. Or you say, I can't afford it. Hey, I've sent over a thousand people on mission trips. When the ones that say, God has told me to go, I don't know, I don't have any money, they go. Because God supplies from sources they haven't thought about. The ones that said, when I have enough money, I'll go, they haven't gone yet. That's just the principle in the kingdom. Encourage your friends, perhaps. And start a church. Well, not in Dillon. Not asking you for going competition. But uh, a few months ago, we launched a program we call I Started a Church. With the whole principle that where Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. So we're taking all our students, pastoral students around the world, and we are partnering with Christians in this country, where you can say, I'm going to partner with this, with this pastor. And we give you his picture or her picture. You can hang it on your refrigerator door and pray for that person. And then when they start a church, you help them equip it with plastic chairs and solar lights. And then with outreach so they can reach out to that community. You become a partner. Actually, you start a church. And this will be the biggest dip in church history that we've ever seen for a long time. Because every one of our 3,000 graduates every year we plant a church of 150 people. That's almost half a million new believers. Every year, year after year after year. Whew. Can you think of a better thing to be involved in world missions? You can look at our table out there if you're interested. Look for every opportunity to step out of your comfort zone, to take a risk for Jesus Christ. And you will find that He's with you. Go to finish with these four quick points in the five minutes I was allotted. You know, when you go, you have the good news factor. We hear a lot of bad news every day, but we have the good news factor. People that don't know Jesus, they are running around from garbage dump to garbage dump. They're trying to find satisfaction in this relationship and that relationship. And we know how empty they are inside. And they know how empty they are inside. We don't need to go and tell them, you're bad. They know. 
All we need to say, come and taste that the Lord is good. He has changed us. Share the gospel in a positive manner. <coughs> you have the good news factor. Secondly, you are ambassadors for Jesus. He has no plan B. You are it. I remember when I met my first American, as you figure out now, I'm not from here. But I am an American citizen three months ago, after 30 years. But, uh, oh, thank you, thank you. That means I can vote. Before I could only pay taxes, now I can vote as well. Anyway, <laughs> when I met my first American, it was when I was 10 years old and a cruise ship came to Stockholm, where I lived. And I saw these guys with plaid pants. Who came up with that? Plaid pants. Huge cameras, and most of them had huge hats. And they were extremely loud. I didn't understand what they said, but they said, those are Americans. That was my first understanding who these were. They were ambassadors for that country. Today, you and I are ambassadors for Jesus. People are looking at our sense of humor, our personality, uniquely equipped to meet someone's need. And one day they will say, Jesus saved me, but you brought me to the cross. Ambassadors for Jesus. Thirdly, and this is a point your pastor made a couple of weeks ago when I sat out here in the amphitheater. People are lost. We don't talk much about that, even in the evangelical world today. But people are lost. Why did Jesus spend more time talking about the other place in heaven? Because he didn't want them to go there. He wanted to have them go to heaven. Why did Paul spend all his life being shipwrecked, being beaten, being stoned, if it wasn't to get people to the right location? You know, we have to stop playing church. This is not fun and games and something we do very nicely on Sunday mornings. This is a matter of life and death. To bring people into the kingdom. And finally, there is no better experience than to lead a person to Jesus. It might not happen directly. You might never even see the results when you share the gospel. But it's happening. A few years ago, I was in Hong Kong. And it was in the 40th floor hotel. And I was on the 35th floor. So I got into the elevator to go down for breakfast. And in the elevator was one man, a Westerner. And he started to do this. Looking me up and down. It's embarrassing when a man looks you up and down in an elevator. <laughs> and finally he said, Are you Lars Dunberg? I said, Yes. Wow, he said, You got him fat. <laughs> I said, Can we walk out here and talk about this? Then he tells me a story. 25 years earlier, I had preached at the Youth for Christ rally in a place in England. And it was one of those nights when everything was horrible. It was a, one of these long, long halls, you know, like a shoebox stand on, on the side. The stage was high. People were sitting just in the third in the back. There was a lady singing before I preached. She should not even have sung in the shower. She was awful. And then when I started to speak, it was like every word was just like a crystal glass ball that fell right down and crashed. And I went home to my wife and I said, I will never preach again. But down there... In that little group of people was Bob Moffat, who was 15 years of, old, of age. He had never heard the gospel. He was brought there by a friend. 
And that night, he knelt down by his bed and said, Jesus, if you are real, come in and change my life. 25 years later, I find out. Today, he has led thousands of people to Christ himself, working as a youth leader across Europe. One day, you're going to stand before the Savior. And what are you, what is he going to say to you? Well said, you good and faithful servant, or well done. Well done. Go, and I'll be with you, Jesus says. Let's pray. Father, bless my friends here. Give them the urge and the power of your Holy Spirit to go in whatever way you call them. It doesn't have to be on the other side of the globe, but Lord, you will call them to the other side of the street. Wherever you want them to serve, let them go in your power. And you, Lord Jesus, you promise to be with them. We thank you and we praise you. Amen. Thank you, Lars. I don't know about you, but I call that a shot in the arm from a godly man. Thank you so much. Well, why don't we all stand? If you're interested in uh, in finding out more about global action, going into all the world, there's a table out there. If you want to find out more about starting with our Jerusalem through 40 Days of Community, you can sign up for it uh, at the welcome table.